Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Dharma Toolkit Daily with me, Chandra Dasa. Today, we are having the Friday interview, and I hear you cry, this is Wednesday, what are you doing? Well, in the spirit of our upside down times, a combination of factors to do with the schedule of podcasting with people all around the world, on the west coast of the US, in New Zealand, etc. We've decided to switch things around this week and we're bringing you the Friday interview early on a Wednesday. And this Friday you'll hear a great conversation with our friend Viveka from the West Coast and hopefully some other guests. In the meantime, today's in-depth conversation is with Paramabandhu, also Dr. Paramabandhu Groves, clinical psychiatrist in London about his pioneering work with the Breathing Space projects around the London Buddhist Centre, with people suffering from long-term depression and addiction issues, bringing kindness practices to bear as a very effective way of addressing those problems. We talk about his work at Breathing Space. We talk about his writing, his books, and particularly the book with Jed Shamel based around that work. Looking at kindness as a wing of practice that can have some great results for people and help them make a real change in their lives. So enjoy this interview with Paramabandhu and I'll come back at the end and say hello again. Welcome to Buddhist Voices. Meet some very interesting Buddhists, usually from around the Triratna Buddhist community. And I'm delighted to welcome Paramabandhu. Thank you. This is a book podcast in a way because Paramabandhu, he's written a successful book which we'll hear something about later. You're a clinical psychiatrist, is that right? Yeah, I'm a psychiatrist. That's right, specialising in addiction. In the National Health Service in the UK. That's right. And you also help run a large-scale mindfulness project in London. Called Breathing Space. Called Breathing Space. Do you want to actually tell us us a little bit about Breathing Space? Because most people probably don't know about that outside of London. Okay, so I've been based at the London Buddhist Centre for quite a long time. and well, What's quite a long time? <laughs> I've been living there for 30 years. 30 years? In communities well. at the London Buddhist Centre. Um, so back in 2004, probably around the time I became chair of the London Buddhist Centre, I thought it would be a good idea to run a course called Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy for Depression. That was relatively mm. new at the time. Um, I'd sort of heard about it. I'd actually been aware of its development and I thought we had the skills to run such a course. So Mm. I did the first one and I was really amazed by how popular the course was. And shortly after that, in 2005, I adapted it to develop an addiction version of it called Mindfulness-Based Relapse Prevention, which we now call mindfulness-based addiction recovery. And so from then on, we were running regular mindfulness-based courses for health and well-being. And as part of that, we created a space where we could run these more secular courses, which we call Breathing Space, which is in the basement at the London Buddhist Centre. We will come on and talk about your book, but I'm already interested in the fact that you're a psychiatrist and a Buddhist, Mm. and you've been living for a long time in the one situation. Did you find a sort of a natural crossover in your Dharma practice and your treatment of people who need help with mental health? And when you decided to experiment with these kind of courses, did it seem a good fit at the time with the LBC? Well, I would say it would be a good fit. I mean, 
I mean, the MBCT course wasn't developed by me. This was developed by other clinical psychologists mm. and had a, you know, was in part of a randomised yeah. control trial and became part of the, what are called the NICE guidelines in the UK. So there's the national guidelines recommending mm. it as a form of treatment. So in this case, it's prevention of relapse into recurrent depression. So I suppose what made me a good fit to start running the courses is my foot in the world of psychiatry and also my being a Dharma teacher. I had already, you know, done other things like I trained in core process psychotherapy, which is a Buddhist form of psychotherapy, which is another way of sort of bringing together those sort of two worlds, sort of the Dharma world on the one hand and trying to respond to people's mental health difficulties on the other. And in terms of your biography, did Buddhism come before medical training or were they sort of simultaneous? Pretty much at the same time I got involved in the Dharma when I was a medical student. Just before I, well, between qualifying as a doctor and starting my first internship house job, I moved into a Buddhist community where essentially I've been living ever since. Which is pretty remarkable. It's unusual. (laughs) There can't be many (laughs) NHS doctors or even any doctors put in that position. It probably does, I suppose, give you a particular, a certain kind of angle of insight into, I suppose, both the world of your work, but the particular needs of people who come along to Buddhist centres. Yeah, I mean, it is unusual. But for me, it was a way of, you know, intensively combining Dharma practice at the same time being able to continue the work that I was interested in as a psychiatrist. Mm. So tell us a bit about Breathing Space. It's still relatively new, isn't it? It's not a very old project. Yeah, well, as I say, the start of it was in 2004. The other thing we started doing at that time was also running retreats for carers. We've got a retreat centre in Suffolk called Vajrasana. So one of the things we started doing there was running retreats, which basically gave carers a break, as well as giving them some skills around mindfulness. And that was supported by a number of boroughs around London um, that paid for that. So we had those two things running the mindfulness courses actually at the London Buddhist Centre and then our carers stuff at our Mm. retreat centre. We then developed a carers drop-in as well at the London Buddhist Centre and then you know what became breathing space, actual sort of physical location of breathing space. Has the presence of breathing space had any noticeable effect on the rest of the Buddhist Centre in London? Has it changed the culture or...? So are they kind of set? Not obviously so. There's quite an overlap. I mean, certainly the first MBCT course I ran, I think at least a third of the people were established Sangha members mm. who wanted help with their depression or anxiety. And I would say we get a bit of a two-way flow. So, you know, we get people coming on to the centre and then they see that this course for depression, saying it's something they've struggled with, so they go to breathing space and do a course. But equally, we get people coming through breathing space who get involved in the Dharma. So, you know, one of the Mitras I'm living with at the moment, his first contact with the LBC was a a breathing space course. So you've got this book that's coming out, and that's developed out of the work that you've been doing in breathing space? Yeah, so what happened is, I've been running these mindfulness courses for, as I say, some time, and... One of the things that then occurs is, well, what do you do next? You've done the eight-week or six-week course, depending which one it is. How do you keep the practice going? I mean, one of the things we do is just really encourage people to attend general meditation classes at the LBC. So there's so many classes going on. That's a, a very good thing to do. But the other thing we started thinking about was the idea of a follow-on course. So I did initially develop a follow-on course based on something called Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, ACT. 
called Meditating Into Life. So that was the first one. So I ran that for a while and did that a couple of times. And that, in a way, that was quite good. But then a friend of mine, my chair, Bandu, suggested, why don't you do a follow-up course based on metta, on loving mm. kindness? And that seemed an obviously good idea because, mm. of course, in True Ratna, our two main practices are mindfulness and metta, and they very much go hand in hand. And in a way, it feels a bit one-sided that we do all this mindfulness stuff in mindfulness-based courses, but the kindness, compassion, or metta is very... I mean, it wouldn't say it's not there, but it's very implicit rather than explicit, and it's not taught in mm. the way that we teach metta bhavna and other yeah. practices in our dharma classes. So that's what I did. I developed a course based on metta as a follow-on course. And so... What I ended up with was an eight-week course. The first two weeks are on mindfulness, so either to act as a refresher for people who hadn't done a mindfulness course for a while, or for people who hadn't done any mindfulness before. It's kind of like a sort of mini crash course in mindfulness. And then... <laughs> Two-week uh, mindfulness. Two weeks. Yes, we can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. That's right. And then six weeks of basically different ways of approaching kindness meditation. It's the metta bhavana, although in the course I don't refer to it as metta bhavana because it's kind of secular. So the the course is actually called Kindness Behaviour Training, or KBT. So the idea is kindness, Um, but the behaviour bit is also about putting kindness into practice in your daily life. And broadly speaking, the sort of framework in my mind for that was the five precepts. So again, we, I don't go into ethics, I don't go into the precepts as such, but we look at generosity, we look at contentment, we look at truthful and kindly mm. speech as part of that course. And in a way that it's not that they're signing up for some abstract set of beliefs, this no. is all experiential, isn't it? You're it introducing them so. to something that's going to make a difference. That's it. right. We're saying, look, this is how you can cultivate kindness. We look at what we mean by kindness, why we might want to develop kindness, and then as well as cultivating in meditation, how you can put it into practice in your life. So how do you take an eight-week course like that and turn it into a book that's going to sit on people's shelves, hopefully have an impact in hmm. that sort of field? Well, what we really wanted to do was to have a book of the course. So in a way, we've already got the structure. The other thing I should say about when I developed the course is there was a trainee clinical psychologist called Jed Chamel and he very kindly agreed as part of his clinical doctorate to do a small scale study of KBT so we could just start to get some idea of how people were finding the KBT course. So we worked very closely together and yeah, he did a small qualitative study looking at what people thought about the course and, you know, happily they liked it. (laughs) Very positive findings. And so when I came to writing the book, I invited him to join me. So we decided to write it together. And so what's the title of the book? So the title of the book is called Mindful Emotion, A Short Course in Kindness. Hmm. Sounds very good. Are you a natural writer? Do you enjoy the act of writing or is it more like you really want to set down the content of a course? But presumably you get involved with the prose, you know, want to communicate really clearly yeah, yeah. something because you're not the in person. Presumably it makes a difference whether you're in the room or not with someone when you're talking to them. I mean, 
I have to say, there was a bit of arm twisting to write the book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it twisted your arm. Well, you yeah. never guess, but it's my <laughs> turn, mind you. Um, uh, so, uh, didn't he ghostwrite it for you? Why didn't he ghostwrite yeah, it? Yeah, well, I should have gotten to ghostwrite. That would have been the the, the, the simplest thing. So, you know, I could clearly see that it would be a useful thing to do, but it was more like it wasn't that I had this deep urge. Oh, I'd really love to write another book. It was more like <laughs> I can see there's a need. Yeah. I now know I can do it. It's not undoable. And I guess the fact that, you know, it already got the course framework meant that we had the framework for the book. So yeah. that meant, you know, at least some of the work was done already in a way. He's a persuasive man, isn't he? He's a very persuasive man, you, yeah. Some of you, of course, will not know who Maitre Bandu is. He's Parman Bandu's very good old friend. Also both public preceptors in mm. the Tretna Buddhist order. And Matthew Bandu is a writer and poet and general fab person who manages to make people do things that they didn't necessarily think they could do. (laughs) (laughs) So working with Jed, how was it to work with somebody else on something that you've developed and then he's come in with his own background, his own thing? Was it straightforward to write a book with somebody else? Because a lot of people might think, gosh, writing a book's difficult enough, writing a book with another person. Actually, it was very, very easy. I mean, I have to say that I'd already had a very good experience of writing a book, the previous book, with Mm. Vim Lasara, Eight Step Recovery, who actually probably I knew less well than Jed Mm. at the point of when we started writing Eight Step Recovery. And that was actually very easy, very smooth, and also gave me a sort of, in a way, an approach. So what Jed and I did is we picked a chapter each to start. So for example, I did the first go at chapter one and he had the first go at chapter two. And then we just swapped them over. And Mm. then I added to, asked questions about, made changes to what he'd written and he did the same with what I'd written. And then we met up and talked about it and then Mm. went forward with each chapter in, in turn, and it's seemed to work pretty well. Tell me your bibliography, book number one. <laughs> so book number one is a slim volume called Practical Buddhism, um, Mindfulness yes. and Skillful Living for the, for the Modern Era, which I wrote myself, which is why it's very slim. My style tends to be short. It's really an introduction to Buddhism, Mm. particularly as we practice that in true right. Mm. And the second book was The Eight Step Recovery. Recovery. What was the subtitle to that? Using the Buddha's teachings to overcome addiction. Now, some people are going to hear that and obviously recognise the steps metaphor, um, mm. presumably from 12-step recovery. Can you give us a very quick precy of why eight steps? So our approach was simply to look at what we thought might be useful in the Buddha Dharma, and we came up with eight points. Mm. Now, we then had a big discussion of, well, first of all, do we tie it in with the Noble Eightfold Path? And we had a go at that, and it didn't really fit, because it was slightly different, mm. and it got confusing to try and talk about the Eightfold Path. So then there's a the question of, what do we call it? And it was quite a long debate about whether to call it steps, because it isn't really... It's not like we looked at the 12 steps and thought, which four should we get rid of? <laughs> you know, but this version of this, so it's a bit quicker. It was just like, well, what's a good word? And steps seem to sing out. And and also, of course, it's got the resonance with Dharmapada, which Mm. one way of translating that is steps. It was a bold reclamation of the word steps. I think you could put it like that. You could say that, yes. That would be one way of putting it, yes. But it's not in any way a criticism of the 12-step approach at all. You know, we're both very supportive of that. We think it's a very good approach. 
And we think the Buddha Dharma's got things to offer which we yeah. put together in eight step recovery. Yeah. So are you pleased with the new book? Do you feel like you've set it down the way you want it to and it's yeah, got it? Yeah, I, I yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm happy with how mm. how it's gone. Great. Yeah. And so people can find out about this at windhorsepublications.com. Yeah. And uh, they'll be able to buy it on ebook, paperbook, etc. And I'm guessing that the work at Breathworks is gonna go on and, and continue to develop. I uh, will certainly hope so, and we'll certainly continue to do KBT courses there. Well, good luck with it. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to come and talk to us about it today. Great, thank you. So you can subscribe to this, uh, give us a good review if you enjoyed the podcast. And yeah, we'll see you for some more Buddhist voices at a later date. So thanks again to Paramabandhu. We hope you're doing very well wherever you are, that you've done some more adjusting to the crazy schedules of the world. And we hope that you're enjoying the company of voices from around the Triratna Buddhist community on this podcast. Remember, you can meditate with us every weekday, twice a day. You'll find the meditation times at thebuddhacenter.com slash toolkit. You can also sign up there for our weekly newsletter, bringing you the best of what goes on in our community space. And you can also sign up for the community space itself and bring your own resources. Share what's keeping you going, what's inspiring you, what's helping you turn the difficulty into an opportunity as much as that's possible. We know people are having a hard time out there in all sorts of ways. And we just want to let you know that you continue to be in our thoughts and that we hope everyone is holding everyone in mind as a community around the world. We look forward to seeing you again soon online in some way, and we'll be back with more conversation, more reflections, more support tomorrow. Bye for now.